Well, happy Mother's Day to moms out there. Mothering is the nurturing of life. And that is a absolutely wonderful thing to celebrate today. Many of you know that uh, my wife and I, we added to our clan this last um, this semester, about eight weeks ago. This is my wife, Catherine. This is my daughter, Audrey. She's going to be four in about a week or two. Um, this is my bowling ball son, Miles, who is, he's thick. He's heavy. He's out. He already outdoes his sister, and he is um, going to be two in August. And then I've got sweet little Helen Claire here, who um, is just shy of eight weeks. And so here's a, here's a little better picture of Helen, my little doe-eyed girl. And uh, she is, my, Catherine is holding her. And it is an unbelievable privilege every day to watch my wife, the mother of my kids, um, to see the love poured out, to see the daily minute-by-minute selflessness and sacrifices, the intentionality of nurturing these little lives. It's quite an amazing thing. To witness that. So today, as we think about moms, as we honor moms, I, I want to honor moms and I want to honor the work of mothering. But, but I want to say this, I primarily want us to walk away today with a greater appreciation of how moms point all of us to God, who he is and what he's done. Now it's Mother's Day and I want to acknowledge that there's, there's tension for a lot of folks There is joy on Mother's Day, and for some, there is pain. And I want to acknowledge both of those things. For some, our moms are with us, and that's a wonderful thing. For some, our moms are not with us, and there's pain involved there. I want to recognize that there are those who take the role of mom, some by adoption. I went to an adoption on Thursday, some, a couple out of our home group adopted a young boy that they were fostering. It was beautiful. It was awesome. It was so celebratory. There are some who become moms biologically. You saw us in the hospital bed, or my wife and family in the hospital bed. And there are some who become moms by a special role they play. But at the same time, I want to recognize that not all are or will be a mom. That there are those who want to be moms but can't or haven't been able to because of infertility and complications and there's pain that surrounds that. That there are those who have lost through miscarriage. Some have had a life growing in the womb and because of a philosophy or a worldview at a time in their lives or extenuating circumstances terminated that life. And today there is guilt and hurt and pain. For others... You brought, there, there are those who have brought a, a wonderful little child into this life only to see them um, pass away because of unforeseen reasons. Death in this life. And for others, there are, are moms who, their child is alive, but they feel so estranged from their child that there's so much pain involved. And so Mother's Day is filled with these things. The joy and the pain. And, and what I'd like to do right now is just lay those all down before the Lord. And, and, I, and I recognize that there's struggle there. My, my wife and I went through a miscarriage ourselves. We had Audrey. And about a year after Audrey was born, we got pregnant. And um, I was still working on our farm down in Navasota on weekends. And I had gone down there during the week in the summer. And Catherine called me from the doctor's office and said, there's no heartbeat. And I could hear the pain and the struggle in her But for me, as a dad who was not carrying that little life, I felt detached. 
I, I could not enter into the pain that my wife felt. And so I don't want to minimize the pain that those might feel today on Mother's Day. There's many who don't even come to church on Mother's Day. But it is a day that is filled with joy and pain. And so let us lay those things down before the Lord as we start this morning. Would you join me? Father, we thank you that you are a God who understands. And we want to bring both our joys and our pains and lay them down before you at at your altar and say that we trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that whatever pain has been experienced, Lord, that you are the redeemer of brokenness and pain. You are also the one who will celebrate the joy and the goodness of the life that you intended and that you will bring about when you renew all things. And so we lay these things down before you today and pray that you would meet us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, great. Here's where we're going. As we start, we're starting a new summer series. I know summer's kind of here, kind of not, but, but we're going to start today. And we're going to be looking at lessons from Old Testament leaders. So today, especially on Mother's Day, um, I want to take a look at a mom and who through her perseverance, her prayers, and faith left a definable mark in Old Testament history. So would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to look at the life of Hannah. And as you turn there, I want to remind us that we know that God has revealed himself through what he has created. Creation itself speaks of this. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring of the work of his hands. He's also revealed himself in the way that he's put his image in us, that we walk around, though it is marred, though it is tainted by the brokenness of this world. He says in Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. And so together, we, just by the fact that we are his creation, we declare his glory, albeit tainted and broken. But let me say this, it's not just the majesty of the mountains or the wonder of the stars, it's not just the way that we interact with one another or what we see with our eyes, it's also God reveals himself in the way he set life up to function. There's something about that we hunger and thirst that tells us something we need to know about God. There's something about the fact that we enter in this world as a baby and we grow and we mature that tells us something about the God who created us. There's something about the fact that God created family, that a man and woman would come together and they would produce offspring and that then they would take care of and grow and raise up and then they would go and repeat the same. Something about all of the way God designed life that pushes us and reveals himself if we see, if we look. And my argument today is in the very fabric of God's design, I believe that motherhood is yet one more way that God reveals himself. And there is no way in a short sermon today that I can do total justice to that idea, but I would like to draw out a few small pictures of that through the account of Hannah. And so let's talk about Hannah's story really quickly. As we look at this story, we're going to look at chapter one, and I'm going to pull out three major ideas. One that you're going to see in Hannah. You're going to see a longing for a child you'll see that there is the work of birth, and then you will see the dedication of a son. And as I look at these aspects of Hannah's life, for me, it's quite something to see them lived out in Hannah, but how significant that these things also carry such a revealing similarity to God. 
And here's what I want to show you today. As we see the longing for a child of Hannah, we're going to see the longing of redemption in God. We're going to see in the work of birth a picture, a similarity of the work of the cross. We're going to see in the dedication of a son, the heart of God that he gave his son. And so join with me as we step into Hannah's circumstances in verse 1. Read with me. It says, Now there was a certain man from Ramathim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tahu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And so we start off here, we've got two wives. Now, let me say, often in Old Testament writing, the writer would not necessarily declare something bad, but would show it to be bad in the circumstances that followed. And here we have that example of polygamy, that there are two wives. That's not how God intended it. It was a concession for sinful Israel. But he's going to show that it, it's going to create pain and problems. Right off the bat, you have Penina and you have, who had children and Hannah who had, had none. And we're going to start off with comparison. And in this case, it's going to lead to competition and ultimately to very deep hurt, pain, and problem. Now the irony, starting off the bat, is that Hannah's name means favor or grace, and yet she had no children. She seemed to not have the favor of God. The irony screams at us, kind of like it does in, in, in the book of Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, it says, There was a famine in the land in Bethlehem, which was called the house, the, the, the house of bread. The irony screams at us. Hannah, who means favor, but she's not seeming to be under the favor. It's, as one person said, it's like spoons with no yogurt. It's like lanes with no chicken fingers. I get that? Read with me in verse 3. Now this man would go up from the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. And when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. So right here, Elkanah, it says, loved Hannah and gave her a double portion. And that's going to lead to favoritism. So comparison breeds favoritism. And favoritism is going to breed even more problems. And she's going to come after Hannah, because Penina knows when she got that double portion that she was loved. It doesn't say Penina was loved. It says Hannah was loved. And it also says in this section that the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, and we don't know why. And so much in our lives happen that happen or don't happen, and we don't know why. For many Israelites in this culture, in this context, they were a community that believed in the covenant promises of God. And so God had promised that he would make their descendants multiply, that there would be many descendants. And, and for many in the Israelite community, with that mindset, with that promise in mind, they would see infertility as a curse or a consequence of some sin. And they might look at Hannah and say, you're cursed or you have this upon you because of sin. Now we know that's not always the case in scripture, is it? We remember when the disciples found a man born blind and they said to Jesus, is this man born blind because of his parents' sin or his sin? And Jesus said, no, it's not because of sin. It's for that God's glory might be revealed. 
He's in this state for that purpose. We also look at Job. Remember Job, there was a heavenly wager of how, how Job would respond to calamity. And what happened? This very tough trial of loss comes into life and he is broken and his friends step around him. And what do they say? Surely there must be some sin in your life, some unconfessed sin. But that wasn't the case at all. People try to fill in the gaps of why. And Penina, I think, is going to fill in the gaps of why for Hannah. And she's probably going to pounce on Hannah with accusation because she's filling in the gap with negativity because she understands comparison and favoritism. And there's pain for her and frustration and problems in this home. Look what happens next. It says, her rival, however... This is speaking of Penina. The rival of Hannah would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So Hannah wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Favoritism, comparison is going to lead to full-out blown rivalry. One-upmanship. I'll step on you to get what I need. I'll step on you to push you down to make myself better. And she's doing that. She is trying to crush Hannah's spirit. Year after year after year. And Elkanah, the husband Poor guy here, he's trying to be sensitive. He's trying to speak into her. Why are you sad? Why Aren't I better than 10 sons? And he just doesn't get it. He's missed the heart of a woman who wants to be a mom. You can't replace that. You can't say, aren't I enough? No, there's a deep loss that Hannah feels, a deep desire, a longing to be. A mom. And Elkanah doesn't understand, and many do not understand that pain. That's Hannah's circumstances. Now, let me show you these pictures that I want to pull out that I think point us to this majestic God we believe in. Look at this. This is Hannah's heart, her longing for a child. Look in verse verse 9 with me. It says, Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And Hannah, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And a razor shall never come to his head. And that last reference is to a Nazarite vow, the idea of being fully, a life fully devoted and committed to the Lord. So in this, we see that that Hannah had a longing that was felt so deeply that she was greatly distressed, wept bitterly, and felt the affliction of it. And she brought it to the Lord year after year. And in this vow, there's something beautiful here because as she has been in the pain of waiting and and wondering year after year, there's, I think, a, a realization here that this is not about her, that it is about the Lord. And she wants to honor the Lord if she gets to be a mom. And I want to remind us that as moms and even dads, it is not about a child coming into the world for us. 
but for the Lord. Remember that all children, like all that we have been blessed to receive, are in our stewardship. They are not for our benefit primarily, although they are a great benefit to us. But not primarily. Primarily they are that we might raise them unto the Lord. Because ultimately every child is God's creation. God's third thought. God's intent. He knit them together in, in their mother's wombs. They are God's children. And in some way Hannah captured and grabbed a hold of that idea while she was walking through the pain of waiting. In verse 12, now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. That's an appropriate response. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said to her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so Hannah went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And then they rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord, and returned again to their house in Ramah. Hannah poured her soul before the Lord. She did not hold anything back. She expressed her frustration, her pain, her anger, her hope, her desire. What a model in the way that we should pursue the Lord, that there is nothing the Lord can't handle, but we lay it all out before him. And the only thing that ultimately brought her peace was a strong trust in God. Now, here's what I want you to see. This heart of Hannah, this this frustration, this anger, this hope, this desire that she put out to the Lord Hannah's longing for a child points us to God's longing for redemption. Follow me on this. Hannah longed to bring a little life into this world. And God's desire is to bring true life out of the brokenness and death of this world. And God expresses in Scripture his anger, his pain, his frustration towards righteousness and brokenness, unrighteousness and brokenness. God in the scriptures expresses his love for us and his desire for renewal. Let me just give you a few verses where God lays out his heart, his longing for redemption that Hannah points us to. In Genesis 6, 5, we know that Adam and Eve had sinned. We know that as humanity began to multiply on the earth, that so did wickedness and so did unrighteousness. And God says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and his, he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man that I have created, for I am sorry that I have made him. Do you hear the frustration? Do you hear the anger? Do you hear the pain that God felt? Let me fast forward through many verses that I could pick and land in Matthew. 
If you'll remember, Jesus shows up, God, man, in the flesh, and he is presenting himself as the Messiah to the nation of Israel, and they do not receive him, especially the leadership. And in this, in chapter 23, he is rebuking the leadership of Israel for their stubbornness and hard-heartedness. And listen to these words. He says to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who, who are sent to her, How often, listen to the words like a mom, how often I wanted to gather you together as children, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Do you hear the longing, the desire to bring them together, to redeem them and to gather them? In 1 Timothy 2, 4, Paul reminds Timothy and reminds us, listen to God's heart God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And as Hannah desired a life and what she went through, that points us to God's desire for life for us and the great lengths that he would go to achieve it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the first picture. Let me point you to the second picture, Hannah's work. I'm going to elaborate a little bit, creative license here. In the, in, in the middle of 19, it says, And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Samuel means heard of God. He was a direct answer. To, to Hannah's prayer, a gift of God. Now, there's a lot in this verse that goes unspoken. I've just walked through three births in my life with my wife, and there's a lot that goes into she conceived and gave birth. So let's pause for a second because I want to say this. After walking through three births with my wife, giving birth is difficult. And that may be the biggest understatement of the year because it's hard, it's painful. Catherine attempted all three pregnancies, all three deliveries with no pain medication. That's what she wanted to do. I was right there with her. The first pregnancy, we got an epidural. Not because she wanted it, because I wanted it. I couldn't handle it. When you watch someone you love sitting there in that much agony and pain, it was hard. And I was like, I can't handle this anymore. And she was kind of non-responsive. She remembered everything. But for us, she wasn't talking. So I said, get that epidural in here. The last two, no epidural, no medicine. It's an incredible thing to watch that. Now, here's what I want to draw out. I want to draw out a thought to you, and and, and the text doesn't say, but life experience does say this. It is hard to bring a new life into the world. Take out modern medicine. Take out the greater capacity that we have today to minimize pain and discomfort. And centuries of birth moms would say, you can say that again. It is hard and difficult to bring a new life into this world. And what I want to point to you is that the work of birth points us to the work of the cross. I was processing Helen's birth. I was processing all of our kids' births. All three of our kids went past their due date. And then on a Sunday, we decided to go to A&M. All three kids. We chose a Sunday. We went to A&M and we walked around A&M for 
hours to try to get her to go into labor. On Monday, on all three kids, we went into labor. On Tuesday, they were all born, all three kids. We've laughed like crazy about that. But I was thinking about Helen, I was processing as we were sitting in bed uh, when we brought Helen home, what we just went through. And I was processing it because it was a crazy day because she went on to labor on Monday. I thought she was going to, you know, short labor, third kid. No, it was 24 hours. And we went, she labored all night on Tuesday afternoon. I'm sitting there going, okay, she's getting serious. Catherine's not talking anymore. This is the work of hard labor. It's time to go to the hospital. We get in the car at 350. We get to South College Station. We drive to St. Joe's. I may have sped, confessing here as a pastor. We get to the hospital at 4.15. The baby is born at 4.45. Okay. I hit two red lights and the baby's coming in the car. You know what I'm saying? And we're processing all that. And I'm thinking about all that we just went through in this, you know, the, everything that I witnessed in birth. Right there, standing beside my wife. This mom. And I was overwhelmed by the similarity, the striking similarity that goes along with the cross. And it took me to the judgments of Adam in in Genesis chapter 3. The judgments against Adam and Eve for their disobedience. If you'll remember, they sin, they hide. God walks up and says, where are y'all? He knew where they were. Just pointing out where they were in the relational severing. And he's going to pronounce some judgment against him. And he says in Genesis 3 to, to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you. And I've, always, I've thought, why is that? And, and the, the answer I've always come to is God wants us to know every day that we were created to live, we were created to work, but work is hard because this world is broken. It is a constant reminder that the world is broken and that the consequences of sin are evident. But I've always struggled with, what is he, why does he say this to woman right before that? That to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. And I have thought about it and it dawned on me that night in a way where I went, oh my goodness, I see this unbelievable similarity between the cross and birth. That it is a reminder, and the natural birth is a reminder and a foreshadowing because, follow me on this, the severity of sin, because of it, only through difficulty can new birth come forward. The imagery is so similar. I want you to think about this, that what Jesus accomplished on the cross, there was pain, there was difficulty, there was suffering. A woman goes through contractions, and I think of Jesus because the the torture device of a cross, well, you're in pain already, but you have to raise and take a breath, and there's this rhythmic pain that you have to go through on that cross as you reach up to take a breath or you suffocate. I think about the blood that came from his body. I think about the water that burst from his side. I think about this climactic moment where the Spirit left his body. And he said it was finished. And for all time and all places and all people, those who put their faith in the one true God would be born again unto new life. It took a painful sacrifice, sacrificial act to bring new birth. And it is the work of birth that Hannah became a mom, which she longed to become. And it is the work of cross that our God became the father to many to all who believe in him. That was God's work. 
that we see. Let me take us to the next one. Hannah's gift, the dedication of a son. In 21, we pick it up and it says, Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, and he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine. And brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was still young. And then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the boy to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. She gave her son, his whole life, to the Lord and to the work of the Lord. And we know that Samuel goes on to become the prophet of the nation of Israel and he represents God to God's people. What an unbelievable sacrifice. And we know that moms today sacrifice so many things each and every day on behalf of their kids, but she sacrificed her son. She gave him dedicated him to the Lord. And Hannah's dedication of her son because she loved God points us to God giving his son because he loves us. You see, God's gift was that he sent his beloved son. And I picked this picture because he sent his son to lay his dial, down his life for us. And, in, and at Jesus' baptism, God spoke from heaven, the father of the son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And just a day or two later, John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God gave the Son. And we know that just as Samuel became the prophet and represented God to the people, Jesus became our great high priest and he represents us back to God. He became the demonstration of God's love. First John 4, 9 tells us, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And so as we honor this woman, this mom, who longed for a child, who brought a, a child difficultly into this world, and then dedicated her son to the work of the Lord, it pushes us, it reminds us, it reveals to us through the life of this woman, through this mom, the heart of God, that he longs for redemption. The work of God, that he did the work of the cross, the work of salvation, the difficult work to bring new life, and that he dedicated his son, he gave his son to that cause, to that end. So as we see Hannah's story, we see those realities of what she walked through, of what she felt and what she did as a mom. And I want to remind us, the very fabric of what it means to be a mom is revealing of our gracious and loving God. And that is something to be celebrated in those who take on that role. So I want to say, moms, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for all that you do, for all that you point us to. A loving God 
Now, we looked at one woman today. We looked at Hannah and how aspects of her life point to God. But here's what I want to give us all a task today. Whether you are honoring your mom or you are honoring the mom of your children, I want you to do this. I want you to take some time and I want you to think about how their life, how their daily sacrifices, how their way of being a mom points us to God. And I want you to say and tell it to them. Write it down in a note, verbalize it, but tell them, honor them. And thank them for that. And thank God for blessing us with them. So take time to do that today. That is my task for you. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray, but we're not done honoring. We want to honor Amanda and Dusty in just a second. So when I pray, we're going to continue with honoring. Father, we love you. We thank you for Hannah's life. We thank you that you very much... In, in, the, in the scriptures, you have revealed yourself. You have revealed yourself through doctrine. You've revealed yourself through law. You revealed yourself in poetry and in Proverbs. But, but so much you reveal yourself where the lives of people intersect you. And for Hannah, who was a mom who longed for a child and who, who had to give birth and, and, and through difficulty and the pain of, of childbirth and brought a son into the world, and then dedicated that son to your work. Lord, thank you for using people to reveal who you are. Thank you for using Hannah as a mom. And thank you for the moms that sit here with us today and those who will be moms one day that will point us to the heart of God, to the work of God, and to the giving of God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.